Three guys you never heard of hate hippies. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was hilarious. Uh, three guys you've never heard of don't show up in this one. I was three guys never heard of. We're all looking for if he would show up for this one, but he didn't. I just thought it was weird. It is. Like the yeah. whole time I was like, where's he going to be? Where's he going to be? Where's yeah. Gonna be? It's like, where's Waldo? Someone's yeah. going to post something and be like, he was in this scene. Yeah. Like he was in the back of the movie theater or something yeah. like that. Welcome listeners and viewers. Three guys you never heard of. Where we're three guys. We talk about movies. Uh, we've got beards. Things get weird. And uh, we're just here. We're just here for it. Here for a good time. I'm Scott. I'm Duran. Uh, and I'm your co-host, David. And we're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood today. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's probably already been spoilers, so it's always it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, film number nine by our man Quentin Tarantino. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. They're going to say film number nine. We did. It. I was like, no, we're past that. <laughs> we are at thirteen yeah. with this one. Yeah. So yeah. keep up, Quentin. Does that count Kill Bill twice? Like uh, Kill Bill nine, one and uh, Kill Bill Volume Two. Yes. 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 Drink, can you name them all? No, probably not. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Let's see if we can all do it. I think we can. Okay. Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And then I assume Kill Bill. Kill Bill and Kill Bill 2. Kill Bill okay. 2. Django. 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 Inglorious. Mm-hmm. Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Jackie Brown. Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown. And Once Upon a Time Hollywood. It's, this isn't counting like the... Oh, the Grindhouse film. So the nine was including Kill Bill as one. Because oh, okay. there's a... The Grindhouse Hill Death Race he did with Kurt Russell, Grindhouse. Oh, uh, okay. I just I don't watch it. I just remember there was a girl with a machine gun. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yep. It's like a two, well, it was a two part movie type deal. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So my idea to use was going to be what character in a Quentin Tarantino film do you most relate to right now? Right now? Sure. Or this past week? Past two weeks? You have to go first. You've had time to think uh, about this. See, the thing is, I don't really like Quentin Tarantino, so I don't think a lot about his characters. Um, it's so hard because his each character, every single character in all of his movies has something very unique about them, mm-hmm. even side characters. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to say, oh, my life's been fairly normal because... Yeah, I feel as though, I, when I was thinking about this this morning, I think that I'm Bruce Willis's girlfriend. Mm. Just very kind of like happy-go-lucky and kind of ambivalent and oblivious. Mm. That's kind of how I feel this past That's a good week. one. Yeah. In Pulp Fiction. Yeah. 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 I, to be fair, I haven't watched Pulp Fiction in a while, so I could be wildly misremembering her. No, yeah, that's pretty feel. accurate of who she is. Yeah, I get all our colors mixed up in Reservoir Dogs. I can never remember who's who. Mr. White, Mr. Pink, yeah. Mr. Orange. Um, but I'm none of them. I would say I am... Ooh, I'm uh, the stagecoach driver in Django. You know, the guy who plays the... He's the bad guy in Glorious Bastards. I forget his name. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Christoph Dr- Christoph Waltz. Waltz. I'm Christoph mm. Waltz's character in Django. Uh, just because he's a good guy. He means well. And I can't really remember actually anything about his character except for I liked his costume. And I think I've been dressing well lately, so... <laughs> nice. Good. I like it. Hmm. Um, I think I might be going with... Uh, John Travolta's character in Pulp Fiction just because I've got um, big changes coming in my life. Do you feel confident in those changes? Or not. Is it John Travolta's character? No, it's Samuel Jackson. Yep. Yeah. I mean, don't we all want to be Samuel Jackson? It's true, I do. So, Samuel Jackson's character in Is Pulp he related Fiction. to Will Smith? Oh my gosh, Dave. The joke is over. I don't think it'll ever be over. Uh, great. We all got our characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no one picked anyone from Kill Bill or this film. Are there that many characters in Kill Bill, though? I mean, there's like Uma Thurman's character and all the other assassins. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be hard to pick any of them unless you were you had a vendetta. True. Um, I can't really remember. My, I need honestly the only Quentin Tarantino films I have in my mind pretty clearly are Pulp Fiction. Django, Hateful Eight, this one, 
Inglorious so Bastards. That's like half of them. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. I guess I just Hateful don't Eight. really well, know Kill Bill that well. What was yeah. was Chris Pratt in Hateful Eight? No, that was uh, the Magnificent Seven remake. Okay, yeah, yeah. It wasn't good. I don't remember. I don't think I've seen either of them. So maybe um, I have seen Hateful Eight. I don't Hateful remember. Eight is interesting. It's it would be a good ninety minute film. Yeah, but and it's, it's not. not ninety. Minutes. And there's some some comparisons and contrasts that I want to make between yeah. uh, O-U-T-H and Hateful Eight. O-U-T-H is Once Upon, upon a, a Time, time in Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, I just axed the smaller words. Yeah, we're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A yeah. Quentin Tarantino film, as you can pick up by now. Yep. Uh, it came out July 26th, 2019. It is categorized as a comedy drama directed and written by Quentin Tarantino. Um, I removed the music composition from yeah. this uh, from our sheet this week because there isn't one. Oh, there's a music department, but there's no one in charge of score. It was all just pop music. It was all. I don't actually remember. No, there was a score. He did the stringy, like classical yeah, Tarantino yeah, score. Yeah, there's still tension in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, the ratings for this, IMDb gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes critics gave it an 84%. Audience score was 71%. Metacritic gave it an 85, which might be the highest Metacritic score I've ever seen, uh, at least of the movies that we have done. And then Cinema Score gave it a B. Hmm. Interesting. It's starring tons of people. Yeah. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. Margaret Robbie, Robbie, Emile Hirsch. Um, who was it that uh, Dakota Fanning? Yeah, did not recognize her. Yeah, she had a bigger face than normal. Her face got big. She mm-hmm. just looks. I mean, I guess I'm used to seeing her. When as your a face gets big, actor, you look different. Or child actress. Yeah. Um, box office as of July 31st. So that counts like six days, seven days. It had made 55 million. Which is a lot, I feel, for a Quentin Tarantino film, like in an open opening weekend. Um, yeah. Uh, this is not Brad Pitt's first time with Tarantino, right? He was Glorious Bastards. He was in Glorious Bastards. Yep. Yes, uh, it's not Leo's first time either. He was in Django. Yes, right? he was. Yep. How come Roman Polanski's character isn't on here? Because it feels like he had a lot of screen time. Uh, I don't know if he had more than one or two lines. The whole movie. I don't think he had any lines, but he was in like the first half. Oh, like any time you saw Sharon Tate, you saw him. The guy who played Tex, I want to refer to as my poor man's Adam Driver. Mm. That's exactly what I thought when I saw him. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, is that Adam Driver? Not Adam Driver. It also took me a sec to realize later when you saw him that it was the same Tex because his Mm. just like his outfit going from like the ranch ish to the yeah thugging ish was just so different that I was yeah yeah that's cool. Um, guys, yeah. What else to say? Yeah. I, I'm, Should we I'm thumb ready. it? I'm I'm ready for thumbing. Oh man! Because I right. think all the things I want to talk about on this page might have to do with thumb. So okay. All right. Uh, are we using our left thumb or our right thumb today? It, I always use my left because it's closer to the middle. My coordination on my left hand is not so good, so we'll go. Wait, okay. Well, you, I'm gonna go. It's right. about coordination. Two right thumbs. What? Okay. Thanks. Scott pairs with Duran once again. Uh, on three, one, two, three, thumb. Oh, wow. All right, so Duran here, up thumb. Uh, David there, up thumb. Scott over here, mm, side thumb? Kind of. Side thumb. So two and a half thumbs out of four. Uh, can we do another quick thumb thing, though? I've already made my opinions pretty clear about Quentin Tarantino. Can we get thumbs on just Quentin Tarantino's body of work in general? Oh, yeah. Right. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so Duran's, Duran's a thumb up. David's a, a side thumb. Side thumb power. Scott's a side thumb. Okay. Interesting. Uh, so, Dave, why, why do you think that this one is uh, more notable to you than um, This one, and it might be the context of the... It might be the time it came out. I'm just yeah. kind of my outlook at movies in general. This one just felt like a cozy blanket okay. wrapped around my body. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, like I said in... Um, earlier just how savory it was and I was trying to remove the fact that I knew it was a Quentin Tarantino film from my head because you're always kind of like braced for what jarring thing is going to happen yeah uh, so 
But I think that this film demands a second and more viewings, honestly, and I really enjoy character work because you could argue that there isn't really a plot. Uh, there's themes, right? But it's more just like kind well, of a bunch well, of... feels like a period piece. Yeah, yeah. Vignettes of yeah. these characters and you just kind of, get, kind of get to know the characters through the... Like there's a 10-minute scene where Brad Pitt feeds his dog. It's a pretty good scene, though. It's a great scene. One it's of my favorite scenes in the movie, scene. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, I, I liked it. So that's just some brief things I really like. There's some more things we can talk about in a second. But I liked all of the acting was top-notch. I also really liked the film aspect. And this is something I was thinking about. Because when I was thinking about Spider-Man Far From Home, which I enjoyed, uh, all I could come to, all that came to mind was the plot point and what happened. Okay. Like what things happened in the movie that made me like it. Yeah. Um, and the only real like quote unquote art of like filmmaking things that came to mind were the visual sequences with the trippy uh, mag, um, Mysterio stuff. But with this film, I was just reveling in the craft the whole time. Okay. I really enjoyed the production value. I really enjoyed the shot composition. I really enjoyed the lighting, um, and then the acting and then just the dialogue heavy stuff. I l- liked it. And I think Tarantino fans would have this one lower on their Tarantino list. And I have it higher because the more Tarantino-y he gets with like his, not necessarily shock value, but some of the more uncomfortable things aren't really in my favorite side of things. Well, it also seemed as though that kind of shockness is only at the very end of this one yeah it's kind of a punctuation but i really enjoyed that scene too i thought that scene was great um and we can talk more about that but uh yeah so that's why i liked it in a in a a can of wolf food oh man rat flavored rat flavor raccoon flavor jeez during it lived up to your expectations yeah i think when i came out of it and i was trying to and i might want to save this for later yeah as far as when we rate the movie, yeah. how it rates in your Quentin sure. Tarantino yeah, yeah, films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I won't necessarily give you that rating right now. But I came out of it feeling like like what David said. The overall plot of the movie didn't really do much. But when I started thinking about the individual scenes mm-hmm. that I liked in the movie, it was hard for me to think of scenes that I didn't enjoy or that I was indifferent about there pretty much every single scene in the movie was done in such a way that I enjoyed it so and it did feel like I like your the way that you described it as a bunch of vignettes because I think it's more that than what Quentin Tarantino is kind of known for because you look at films like Pulp Fiction where it's it feels like vignettes but the farther along in the movie you get the more you see how it's all connected and the real timeline in the movie. But with this one, I feel that doesn't ever really happen. It kind of does at the end of the movie. Like things kind of tied together with all the different characters right at the very end of the movie. Um, But up until that point, you've got these different people, different storylines that are seemingly unconnected. Um, And I think it's, it was almost Quentin saying, I don't need to do that with this movie. Like, I don't need there to be, uh, like, a really well interwoven plot line with these, like, multiple characters that once you finish it, you realize how connected they were the entire time. Instead, I'm just going to tell, like, I'm going to tell several stories. And they're kind of connected, but really not necessarily. Because really there's four main stories being told, right? There's... Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton. There's Cliff Booth, which are intertwined, definitely. Probably yeah. more, more so than the others, but still separate, right? Like, especially the scene where uh, Cliff leaves Rick Dalton's house the first time and you see him, like, drive into his house and it's, like, obviously a separation. Right? Yeah. He lives a different life than Rick Dalton does. Yeah. Um, but then you have the hippies. The hippies. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have uh, Sharon Tate and friends yeah but even that was not that big of a story she was more of a backdrop yeah well she was also more of a quentin's definitely playing on the fact that we know that she was a real person and we know what happened to her the whole time so this is this is an interesting thing i was thinking as i was walking out because i figured you guys would know about charles manson and you would at least pick up on who sharon tate was ahead Mm -hmm. of time and you guys did 
I did not at all. Oh, you did not? Nope. Oh, you but didn't? you read about I, it afterwards? Yeah, I read about it okay. afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. M- Maddie's big into cults. Yeah. Huge. And she, like, gave me the 411 before I went. Before? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's an interesting... I shouldn't say interesting. It'll fill you in on some details of it. There's a dramatization called Helter Skelter that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that goes through essentially from, like, early-ish Charles Manson up through the tape murders. Mm-hmm. And there's actually three movies out this year that revolve around the Manson. Oh, family. yeah. This one, uh, a documentary about it. I think it's just called Manson's. I can't remember. Yeah. But uh, I heard it's pretty good. And then there's The Haunting of Sharon Tate, starring Hilary Duff. Turned Sharon Tate's life into a horror slasher movie. Weird. Which it is. Definitely not I mean, that good, though. Yeah. Um... Interesting. So what... I didn't know. I mean, walk I us knew, through that Okay, for a so I knew going into it that it had cultural significance. Like, the things that happened in the film uh, had ties to real things that happened. True. Yeah, because they're pretty explicit in terms of the at least the period dropping they're doing, right? Like yeah. You see Fox Studios, and you see, like, Playboy Mansion, and yep. you see... Yeah, so you it's see pretty... Taco Bell. Yeah, you see Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Um, I knew all that, and I decided consciously to not look into it. Mm. Because, it yeah, because yeah. from one thing, one thing that I think anyone that has listened to a majority of our episodes will catch on to is that almost without fail, um, the people who, the three of us, who rate movies the highest, it's usually because they go into those movies with little or no background information and little or no expectation. So I've kind of taken that to heart in that I'm trying to go into as many movies as I can with little or, learn, little or no yeah. background information or yeah. expectations. So yeah. I did that good. with this film, came out of it, looked up, you know, Sharon Tate, looked up the Mansons, looked up all that, and then realized like, oh, okay, that's what this movie was about. Interesting. I want to dig in, maybe not right now, but like how you felt throughout the movie with all the Sharon Tate scenes then. Yeah. I yeah, bet you were just like, because I felt this, this is going to add up sometime. Maybe uh, to me that added to the tension of yeah, like, oh, oh totally. when's this going to drop? Because like you, you know, you're like, oh, that's Sharon Tate and Plansky, and she's not pregnant. Yep. One, yep. And then you're like, oh, those are Charles Manson family people. Yep. Oh, well, I see where this is going. The whole right. movie, I was like, when is she going to die? Yeah. Yeah, and they ratcheted up right the six months later. Oh, she's pregnant now. Okay, well that yep. means she can get murdered. She's going right? to die. Like, yeah. I mean, so because it's Manson that shows up. Uh, he uh, like walks up to the house. Yeah, he, he walks up to the one. house and yeah. stuff. Was Looking, that Liam Neeson? No, I th- it's poor man's Liam Neeson. We have got poor man's Liam Neeson and poor man's Adam Driver in this movie. Looking for a Beach Boy. Yeah, which is also a weird aspect to the Charles Manson story. But um, so from that scene on, I did have a feeling that something weird was happening. Absolutely true. Um, but I, I mean, it was. The way that I viewed all the Sharon Tate stuff was this is going to be important mm, later on sure. and relevant mm. um, just because it's a Quentin Tarantino film and very rarely does he waste any scene. Yeah. So that's how I viewed it. Well, it's an, yeah, I thought, I thought probably my favorite part about the movie was the subversion of the history, right? Of, of taking liberties in terms of how he wanted things to happen. And yeah. I liked it too. I liked, I liked it too. Yeah. Um, I liked how it was portrayed because I'm curious if I ha- I'm not sure I haven't kept up if there's a big backlash about how he changed it or anything, but I really liked how he kind of basically took the power in this universe. Like he basically saved some innocent people and took the power away from the uh, kind of how built up this whole story is with the Manson murders, and was just like, no, I'm I'm going to. Turn the, portray them as buffoons and really turn this thing into a joke and in a way I found it like hey as, as like an, almost a homage, not an homage but like a nod of like hey I respect that these horrible things happened and I'm trying to say that I think that it is wrong and here's I'm going to yeah, portray that yeah. well yeah because I, I don't think anyone's going to get upset about how he portrayed it because the only people that would be upset are the families and or people of the Manson family and I think society in general has decided that they're not worth the. Mm-hmm. You know what's yeah, intriguing, sympathy, right? Sharon Tate was never in danger that entire film. Yeah, 
Never once was she well, ever in danger. I mean, the, the closest you get is that they're like, we're going to go kill her. But they don't even... They don't even they know don't who get she car, is. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and then they're, they're just did, like... Yeah. yeah. So it's like the whole movie... The whole movie, I'm watching it like, this girl's in danger. Yep. yep. But then I'm like, wait, at the end, I was like, she never was. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Well, yeah, so I'm, I'm interested in how much that played a role then in terms of people watching it because I feel that there could be pretty... Because there could be people that walked into it and wouldn't even recognize that Charles Manson is a thing that should be noted right like that scene where charles manson walks up mm-hmm. you could just see that as like oh it's a weird guy part of the hippie yeah but i think that it's hard to not um take that as being an important scene right sure sure sure, sure. when you're watching any movie anytime someone sketchy shows up mm-hmm. and then disappears <laughs> that means something rarely does that happen without there being anything later on that connects to it yeah true yeah. Um, one of the things I did want to talk about as far as Quentin Tarantino was his changing of history mm-hmm. and how I would argue that he's only he hasn't done it in every film by any means. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. But in Inglorious Bastards, that's a big one where mm-hmm. he went ahead and said, nah, this is how we got Hitler. You yeah. Know, how World War II basically came to an end. And then I would say Django is not necessarily a real story that was changed but it was his take on yeah that's interesting on a story about yeah. a slave in the south and basically flipping the script and so now i feel like he's done that with three movies yeah, including I mean, this one cuz it didn't i mean pulp fiction doesn't count uh reservoir dogs is count kill bills i would almost put i would put, I would put an asterisk by Django as well yeah that's historical fiction not this is a something and then ope change yeah, yeah yeah so i would say it's something that he's done with you know yeah. the Nazis in World War Two, and now the Manson family, which are two very culturally significant things. Where he's basically sure. said, "Hey, um, those were awful things. I'm going to do my version of them, where the bad guys end up getting way worse outcomes." Yeah, not that the Nazis ended up doing very well, but mm-hmm. his, in his version, they get burnt alive. Multiple same, times. Same also, also, yeah, also in one time ago. I loved how it just turned into a farce at that point. I was so into it. In Inglorious Bastards? No, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. I was like, please go get... Yes. When he walked out with the flamethrower, I was like, thank you. That was a magical scene. Um, but yeah, I think that that's... I brought her to a crisp. <laughs> I torched her. I torched her. Um, I think that's something really cool that... That I don't think any other mainstream movie, you know, writer or director is doing where they're saying, I'm going to take, because there's plenty of times where people make films that are based on real events. Mm -hmm. And it's that they are changing small details to make it slightly more engaging. Or in order to make it their story, right? Yeah. To make it what they want. But I think Quentin is, has gone far beyond that and that he's saying, I'm not, it's not even going to be close to what's historically accurate. And I'm not going to say that it is. I'm just telling my yeah. a version of it that I would have preferred or that I find to be better yeah. or more entertaining, whatever it is. I think it's interesting because this is obviously a period piece in the sense of a nostalgic callback to the 70s. Right? Mm-hmm. That feels that's pretty... In a similar way that I would say that Pulp Fiction is too, right? Like That's certainly trying to encapsulate a, a very specific time in uh, U.S. pop culture, at least. Um, but how... How you can use that as a backdrop is very interesting. Yeah, right. And I'm my my critique. Why I'm aside them is because I I and this is a general critique of Quentin Tarantino holistically is that I I just have a hard time seeing what he's doing. Right, like you brought up the scene with the dog. I thought that scene was great. Right, if, if mm-hmm. I'm going to pick apart that scene, I was engaged the whole time. I was watching. You know, I'm paying attention to both the dog's reactions, which are always interesting to see in film of being like emotionally attached to an animal of like the animal doesn't really know what it's doing it's just well trained and right Brad Pitt reacting so well to that but then at the same time at the end of the day I was like but what like what okay so that sets up in the future that the dog's well trained but yeah. why like what? what's the end goal to this scene I mean I think that scene is a lot of character development for Cliff well but this is my problem is that I would argue it's not so much character development but it's certainly character exposition yeah. Right, it's like visual character exposition. So, th- yeah, go ahead, sorry. Well, yeah, and, and so, I like, my, my critique and why why most 
actually think why all Tarantino films for me they're a side them or a down them is just that like there isn't a story and and I think it's interesting because I was thinking about this and, and I think Dave you would argue that there is a story and I think that more gets into just how we see the narrative differently and that's not a bad thing it's just well I would I would agree with you that there isn't a uh, rising action class you know like the typical storyline I mean there kind of is there kinda, with this one there is yeah kind of but and I think that the reason the audience score is down, um, but compared to the critic just slightly, is that it is if you are not aware of the two-hour, forty-minute runtime, which, by the way, it didn't feel that long to me. No, same here. It did I was, not. I was engaged the whole time. Right. Like, I was and so, entertained. And but also like nothing, nothing happens. Yeah. I agree with you. Like the story, there's not really. But for me, it's more of I really just kind of reveled in the performances and getting to know yeah. the characters. And I mean, there's there's themes throughout. Uh, obviously, the most blatant one, like it was very blatant when Leo was talking to that little girl about the book he's reading and mm-hmm. how it's basically a mirror of his situation. Well, is it a mirror of his or is it a mirror of Cliff's? I would also argue that that wasn't actually what the book was about. No. I think he hadn't actually read the book, and yeah. he was trying to act smart to a little girl, right? Who seems a lot more capable knows, than he right? Or maybe, yeah, it could yeah. just be that he was taking the book in a different way. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, I think with a lot of Quentin Tarantino films, it's not about um, like the entire plot. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is him. Well, that's, I think that's what's interesting is David saying, like, there was no, like, rising action climax. There was, though. There was a climax. Right? If you ignore, like, the, the traditional, like, character arc, there was, right? Like, the whole film, especially if you knew Sharon Tate was going mm-hmm. to be murdered, mm-hmm. you, you have this rising mm-hmm. tension of, like, stuff's happening that's pushing towards this ultimate end that us as an audience no. either know via, like, oh, that's an important name, or no, because they remember no, what what's going going on, happened, yeah. right? So, like, there was that climax, and possibly a critique to my own disengagement is that the the story is deeper than that, right? The story is not just about hippies coming and getting killed. Yeah. Right? The story is more complex than that, and I'm yeah. just not engaging with that complex well, level, right? two things. One... You, you were you're, you're talking about your disengagement with like the structure of the movie because you said that you were engaged the whole time. Just oh in the yeah, details. yeah yeah. So I mean like I I agree and I agree with this for like I if if I had to rate Inglorious Bastards I would give it a thumbs down. I did not like it. Mm-hmm. But like that first scene where uh, Christoph Waltz yeah Christoph Waltz is talking to the guy in the floorboard yeah talking to the the family and the family is hiding under the floorboards. I still think that that's an amazing scene mm-hmm. right like just from the standpoint of the craft of film right the mm-hmm. actors are amazing every single one of them is fantastic cinematography is mm-hmm. great right everything about that scene is almost perfection but at the end of the day that movie to me is still not good because mm-hmm. of how it's used right mm-hmm. like what it matters so i agree that like when i'm sitting there watching brad pitt make dinner for himself mm-hmm. i'm entertained mm-hmm. but at the end i'm still kind of just like yeah but like okay right like there, there isn't anything to it other than just like a well-crafted movie, right? Yeah. There's no. I think it's, it's an interesting um, comparison. So you compare a movie like this to something like Spider-Man: mm-hmm. Far From Home or any Marvel movie, yeah. and those movies rely heavily on their story and the plot and the yeah. greater universe mm-hmm. that they're in to be good, and they are good in that way. This movie basically is on the opposite end. Of the spectrum when it comes to um, what drives it and what makes yeah. it a good film, and that this film is saying, "Hey, the overall, the like greater plot of this film, while important, is not going to be apparent in any given scene. Yeah. Um, but instead, each scene is going to be captivating." Yeah. I uh, yeah, and I kind of alluded to that earlier. And there's another point I want to get to. Yeah. But to address that real quick was. Uh, yeah, I, from Spider-Man Far From Home, I cannot remember a single line of dialogue that stuck out to me, and I can't remember really any shots besides those sequences, and it's all what happened. Yeah. Plot points. And in, and in Tarantino's film, there's a lot of unique moments and unique 
scenes and lines of dialogue and shots that stick out to me. Um, and I, like I, I, would, I would agree with you there, Dan. But the second part is when you when we identified the rising action here, and when I said that there really wasn't one, I guess my point is it almost is like that rising tension throughout the film is almost independent of our characters. Almost, right? Yeah, if, if you ignore the Manson family as a mm-hmm. character, which I think is fair, because they're not... You don't ever really see them apart from the other characters. Mm-hmm. Kind because... Of. You, you see the conversation in the car, but for the most part, you see them through the lens of the other characters that were... Yeah, because if we didn't have two things, right? If we didn't have that knowledge that something was going to happen because of our yeah. knowledge of history... Like everything that Cliff and Rick do is just kind of independent of that kind of building. Besides Cliff's brief interaction on the on the ranch on the ranch, um, calling it brief is yeah, yeah, you're right. That's generous. Fine. Also, talk about when he's on the roof and he sandwiches in that flashback oh, yeah. scene. Yeah, I really like that. That was fantastic. It was so good, and the fact that he Family Guy esque with all the cutbacks. I wish they would have done you more know, of that. I know, yeah. Like, in fact, I would have, I would have liked it if they used Cliff as a, almost like a narrative foil to um, Rick, mm-hmm. in terms of like every time Cliff isn't doing anything, he's having flashbacks to their heyday and how good he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Rick Dalton is trying to figure out why he or how he can be good currently, right? And they only did it really once, and I felt as though they could have done that a lot more, which would have. To me, been a more Tarantino-esque film, right? Where you have these vignettes that are like mm-hmm. totally separate and not connected, but mm-hmm. still inform the greater story. But I feel as though it was just like, okay, I mean, uh, the wife flashback on the boat. Oh man, yeah. Well, that was a flashback and a flashback, right? Like, it was yeah, a flashback. It was. And a flashback. Uh, I'd call it flashception, but I'm not an asshole. I'm kidding. Sorry. Well, because <laughs> uh, we assume that's real. The flashback, because it's coming from inside of oh, Cliff's mind, right? Uh, I'm no, yeah, I, I would bank on it that it's real. Uh, well, how about this? Let me ask you a more direct question: Did Cliff kill his wife? Yeah, it was, but his his he posits it's an accident, and everyone else thinks he did it on purpose. Maybe he did do it on purpose. Well, we don't know. He's sitting there with that freaking harpoon gun. Ignoring ignoring the flashback, does he ever reference killing his wife? I think at one other point he does, doesn't he? Does he? No, other Cliff? people. Someone does. Other, other people, people do. do. Yeah. Outside the flashback, though. Yep. Right, because yep. in the flashback, someone else tells... Is it Bruce Lee? Yeah. Yeah, tells Bruce Lee, like, he got his wife and got away, got away with it. Right? But, like, does it happen outside his flashback? Because my whole thing is that he is obviously the narrator of that interaction with Bruce Lee. So, like, he is the one who is influencing what's happening. Right? Yeah, which brings up another point of, did he actually beat Bruce Lee in a fight? Because yes. he's the narrator of this. Yes. Because I would argue, no, that interaction didn't actually happen, right? That's him thinking, like, oh, what if I did go to the set? Well, I think he was on the set, but I think there's a chance that really. He and- oh, so I didn't take it that way at all, right? Because the flashback starts with him sitting in the golf cart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reason he has that flashback is because he asks uh, Rick if he can, if there's any chance he's going to get stunt work on Rick's current thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rick says, uh, no, because the guy from that movie is the one in charge of it. So then he has this flashback to remember, like, oh, why, so I took it the opposite why not the opposite, if but. that guy is in charge of stunts, would I not get a job here? So then he remembers exactly why he wouldn't get a job if that guy's in charge. I So I, I took it the way Duran just described, but yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, I'm slightly because, leaning more towards Scott. Because the start of the flashback is him up on the roof, and the end of the flashback is him, up, him on up on the roof, the roof. right? Yeah. So it's him thinking through it. In my mind, it was like, he's like, oh, what if I did Hypothetical, try to if, So here's here's where here's where the split point happens. Before he got up on the roof, he sat in the car, and Leo was like, hey, this guy's da 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 so you can't do it, sorry. Yeah. So maybe up on the roof, he's playing out... What if Leo didn't tell me that and I went in and we tried to get it happen? This is how it would play out. So it wouldn't have worked that, out anyway. That yeah. doesn't make sense because in the flashback, the movie or whatever the, the set that they're on um, is way different than what than the stuff that oh, Leo's yeah, current. Like Leo's doing true. a Western in real time. The flashback, they're wearing like tuxedos. Tuxedos, and that's it's, true. it's something related to like Green Hornet. Yep, it is. That's true. Okay. But yeah. interesting. Yeah, because I, I took that more of him like 
thinking, why am I up here on the roof? And him not necessarily thinking back to, like, oh, these are the choices that I've made, but more, uh, like, oh, I guess I'm not going to do anything because, yeah, I would totally screw it up, right? Oh, I thought I totally took it as him getting up on the roof and thinking, like, having that yeah. recent memory of Leo saying, like, hey, I don't think it's going to happen because it's the guy from Green Hornet. And then him being being on the roof and thinking back to... Now, what happened yeah. back there with Green Hornet? And then when he comes out of the flashback going, huh, yeah, there's yeah. A probably yeah. a pretty good reason I'm not going to get that work. I loved his, huh? <laughs> uh, I just love that. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I look back and I smile at all of the different things that happened in the movie. Yeah. Like, so many scenes where I'm just like, mm, that was enjoyable. Yeah, and, and I think that's my thing, is if I take it in individual parts, I'm fine with it, but as a whole thing, it just is kind of like, eh. Yeah. Interesting. Like, you saying it like it demands a rewatch to me, I was like, no. Like, Did you ever watch um, the Netflix thing? Bright? Buster yeah. Scruggs? Don't watch Buster it. Scruggs. Yeah, um, Buster Scruggs. We talked about it on this. I, mean, yeah, I recommended it. I watched, yeah, you recommended it. it. I watched after it. you recommended it, I watched it. You yeah. watched it? I watched it after your recommendation. What did you think oh, of that as a whole? Uh, I think that I would have liked it more if they would have been more connected. Okay, so... Well, that, yeah. that's, that would defeat the anthology. But, yeah, I could see how you would say those are too different to compare. Right, to compare Buster Scruggs and Once Upon a Time oh. in Hollywood. Yeah, I agree with that. Right, so if you think about Pulp Fiction, which I think in my mind is like... A, a very good snapshot of this idea of telling a story through vignettes. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of connected because oh, Samuel all... Jackson and Bruce Willis are connected through all of them, right? Because they're in the diner and they're in all of them in some way. Um, I would say that they're all connected because it's common characters throughout. Yeah, yeah, but but I think my. Right, if I get out of my teenager boy head, which is just like, oh, this is a edgy, sexy, violent movie, right? Like, why was it good? I don't know. Right, like the dialogue. I think it's a, it's another instance of yeah. There's so many memorable. Every scene is memorable because of the dialogue and because of the shots, and just because of the overall quality. Like each yeah. scene is of very high quality I would say so so I guess that gets into my thing though then right and, and this is my critique of Quentin Tarantino films for me personally it's just that that doesn't that doesn't make a film right that's Here's, a good case study in like how do you write good dialogue and how do you shoot a good scene good scene right but that doesn't well I mean so so look at a painting right like yeah. you can almost look at a film as a painting and, and admire the craft and the artistry um just like you would approve <sighs> Uh, I'm, this, this is going to be a long side tangent I'll edit out. I, I don't disagree with you but yeah. I, I would argue that that doesn't make a painting good or not well what and makes I, a painting good and I would argue that a painting that is technically done to me has a lot more value than an abstract painting that is not so, t- so I mean I would say that Quentin Tarantino is one of the master technicians in filmmaking yeah what I'm saying is like if you make me just the best steak right yeah. you yeah. buy the, the best steak you, you spend $200 on it you have the best chef in the world cook it and then you serve it to me on like nachos mm-hmm. right like you're missing something right? For like sure. the individual part is fantastic I don't disagree but the collection of them doesn't do anything. Here's the here's the differentiator for me and why I think that this is so important that this movie came out and I really like that it did and I hope that it does way better than it's doing. Um, also, the fact that it came out is solely because Quentin is Quentin. Yeah, I mean, that's the same with M.I. Mean, Shyamalan. Well, you're right, right. right. I mean, but, like, if someone else was like, this is the movie I want to make, the studios would be like, no. Uh, I, don't, I disagree. That's what I want to talk about is that I... I I am not a huge fan of the trend in Hollywood of doing self-referential films, right? Like, yeah, I yeah. think I think you're kind of right, but I would also argue if this was about some other industry or some mm-hmm. other non-romanticized era, mm-hmm. you wouldn't... It would be a lot drier. I think yeah. a lot of this is nostalgia for, like, the golden age of Hollywood. For sure. Uh, he Quentin called out a love letter to the 60s of Hollywood. Yeah. But that aside, what I... Why... I like this movie is because when I think about we've done a lot of superhero movies on this podcast mm-hmm. and when I think about Marvel movies I you almost you almost can remove the director from them and what I mean is 
all you really need if you think about that because we've all agreed on the point that when we think about those movies or at least we've used Spider-Man Far From Home as an example the things that stick out to us is what happens in the story story plot beats what happens um, not necessarily the how it was presented right okay so that being said all you need to make Spider-Man Farther From Home Volume 3 the Tom Holland edition whatever hire me Marvel uh is a group of producers in a room storyboarding all the visuals six writers hitting the plot points and then you can just say go yeah right everything is pre-vis and then you just produce it whereas this movie you cannot just storyboard it it definitely takes that director being infused into making it the entire time because I can't really yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with where you're right. going with this. But, yeah. So my point but, is, my but point it's is, it's also like super unique to Quentin Tarantino in my, that he has that fame. Right. So that's why I kind of to pull it. started the, this yeah. point with that. But like, I think that movies are kind of like with Marvel, especially like a movie star isn't that important anymore. Concepts and story are kind of what's ruling the day. But that suggests that you could replace concepts in the universe. But that suggests you can replace Robert Downey Jr. with someone else. Right? No, no, no. I'm not saying that's not still a big part. But like, moving forward, we'll see how successful they are and how many other, like Robert Downey Jr. is like, and then maybe Chris Hemsworth are the two that are the most irreplaceable. But like, yeah. if we had a different Captain America from the beginning, if we you can really plug in these people to these this just big machine that's rolling. Yeah, but as opposed to, I, I guess I don't disagree, but. I, Okay, let's let's change it away from Marvel because we keep going back yeah, to Marvel, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Go back to Art of Self Defense, right? That had a story for sure. That Absolutely. also had good acting. That also had good cinematography. That also had Absolutely. all these things we're talking about memorable lines. Yeah, right? all Absolutely. these things are still in it. I just um, don't know how much money that made and how successful it is. I just the reason I like this movie and give it a thumbs up is because if I'm going to give a thumb a movie like Spider Man from Home a thumbs up. Oh, but I, th- I think to your point of like think about a painting. I think these two, mov- these three movies, right? Yeah. Far from Home, Art of Self Defense, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All three of them are trying to do different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whether or not we enjoy them is kind of separate from their success in terms of what they're aiming to do. You're right. Right. I would I would definitely argue that Art of Self Defense is not really there to make a ton of money. No. Yeah. And I'd argue that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood isn't really made to make a lot of money. But yeah. I would also argue most Quentin Tarantino films. Maybe aren't. Yeah. Maybe are, right? Maybe Kill Bill was, but whatever. And, and so, right, like, Spider-Man Far From Home is supposed to be a mainstream movie. For sure. Everyone's supposed to be able to walk into that movie and enjoy it. Yeah. I don't think this was ever meant to be. Nope. You're right. That's, and so, that's a good point. Uh, it's just, I, just like, it's, I just like that it, it takes a director to make this movie, and it doesn't take a director to make Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, uh, okay. Point. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's... I think it's... It's tricky because... Even, I think, a greater point that we're getting into is that even within film, within Mm -hmm. movies, there can be so many different kinds of movies that are kind of graded on a different scale. Sure. That it gets hard for us as a movie review podcast to say, this one was good Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. this one was bad. Yep. And to apply our same metric to two different movies that could be vastly different. Yeah. You're right. That's true. Like... Because um, Dave gave Aquaman a thumbs up. Sure did. Dave did give Aquaman a thumbs up. We can never forget that. Um, never forget. Uh, never forget. Never forget. But like, so you gave Far From Home a thumbs up. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, I did. Because I was going to go middle. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah um, I gave it a middle thumb. Yeah. Um, but I would ask you, mm-hmm. then, would you, which would movie would you rather see again? Far From Home. Far From Home. You'd rather see Far From Home. Yeah. And the only reason I say this is because I, if I were to watch... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, m- the only thing I would be doing is like waiting for the scenes that I enjoyed. And those intermediate, I don't call them fluff because they are very artistic. Those intermediate scenes to me are just kind of like, okay. Like, in the first time I watched them, I could enjoy them for their their kind of like effect. But, for, right, the, the whole side show of Sharon Tate going to watch her own movie again, I think is there because it's a love letter to Hollywood not because it's there to entertain me as a moviegoer, right? Mm-hmm. If anything, what that did was it connected uh, Rick Dalton to Sharon Tate, right? He was looking at Sharon Tate as someone who was 
higher and better than him. But then you got to see Sharon Tate having the same insecurity around like, oh, people are laughing at me. People are enjoying this movie. And you saw her fulfillment of like, okay, I'm doing it, right? Mm-hmm. But that's pr- like that's super subtle. And I would argue not that technically great either. Yeah. I don't know. Can we talk about how Leo was digitally put into The Great Escape? Was he? Yeah. Yeah, that was the actual movie. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, I don't know. It's it's tricky. Yeah. You know? Because I'm thinking back to other movies that I've given thumbs up to. Yeah. And I think I gave thumbs up to different movies for different reasons. And I think I give thumb, yeah, like, but middle I think, thumbs. Yeah, middle thumbs. I think it's fine. For different reasons. I think it is fine. Yeah. But I the reason that I'm bringing that up is because I don't think it's fair to necessarily tell people like, hey, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is okay. Sure. Um, because sure. it didn't do it didn't do the things that made this other film good. Yeah. Because it's not trying to necessarily do the things that made another film good. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm why I gave it a thumbs up is because it's trying to do its own thing. It's not trying to follow the same metrics of mm-hmm. other film. Yeah, true. Um, and let me just throw in there that Leo absolutely crushes in this film. Brad I, Pitt I is say that. Yeah. Brad Pitt is also like very very good, but Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Does such a good job, and the double acting. The double acting yeah. was, oh man! Yeah. All the scenes that he did, all the scenes where they're shooting the movie or TV show, are just—they're so well done. Mm-hmm. The one thing I kind of wish they would have done is because they were—they presented it like we were the camera they were yeah. using. Yeah, I—I I, I imagine. What it would be like if they made it like the technology back then that we were seeing. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. That would have been interesting. But, I yeah. mean, I can see why they didn't, but, like, that would have been cool, too. Yeah, because yeah, that very first scene when they're, like, in the bar. Yeah. You have um, the other guy. Timothy oh. Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant, yeah. which I was going to mix it up with Johnny Knoxville. I always get him mixed up with the massive animals that the men of the South rode to s- on the siege for Gondor. Mm, yeah, me too. Yeah. Oliphant's. Okay, it took me a sec to get there, but I got there. We got, we got that. Uh, but that scene, right, where he walks into the bar and and they have like the the scene, the and, and then yeah. it and, and it breaks, right? That line, that feeling you're yeah. getting, where you're like engaged and you're in it, and he yeah, and he breaks it, yeah, yeah, because it's that's a jarring feeling. But I think if they would have shown that, if they would have shown it uh, as a movie being made, it would have been less effective. effective. Yeah, but I do agree that if you had it either grainy or letterboxed or whatever it might have helped. Because you almost forgot that you were watching a movie that wasn't about yeah, those yeah. characters. Yeah. Which I think that's what made part of like that scene so good, yeah. too. Um, the other thing is, like, I almost had a critique of... Um, Rick Dalton's supposed to be, you know, his career's supposed to be going downhill. And it's like, oh, I don't know if it man, is, though. I think... So, uh, finish point. I, I mean, I was going to... So, his career is supposed to be going downhill where he's like he's being brought in to play the bad guy in these things like he's not a leading role in like anything anymore and then it's leo acting and you're like this is like he is in every scene that we see him portraying in a show so Mm -hmm. a scene within a scene whatever it is he is doing such a great job that it's it's almost hard to say to believe that he's an actor that's on the out and out yeah because oh man, he's just doing—he's crushing it. His his like stutters and his like insecurity mm-hmm. when he's not acting is amazing. Yeah, that's good. I, it's it's such a stark difference between like the person Leonardo DiCaprio, the character of Rick Dalton, and then the characters that Rick Dalton is playing. Yeah, that's wild. I what does lo- this is? I might argue that he is not as washed up as you are portrayed. He is, especially because the very last scene. Right, the very last scene when um, the guy on, next door, when Jay We, we leave Sebring, on a note of hope. Right, Jay Sebring's like, oh, you're Rick Dalton, right? And Sharon Tate does the th- same thing. She's like, oh, you're Rick Dalton, right? And yeah. the whole movie, we see him looking at his neighbors as like, oh, they're the new wave, they're the people who are replacing me. Yeah. And then at the very end, you get like a, a flip where, no, no, they also feel the same to him. It's like, oh, he's just, like, it's Rick Dalton down there. Now yeah. he could be in a Polanski joint. Yeah. 
have a say, but Charity. Charity's dead. But she's not. She's not. She's not. She's not. Um, yeah. I just thought that was. I mean, that could just be. If anything, that could be the character arc. Could be. Is that he realizes he's not as down and out as he is, and know. maybe I don't know. I think it's that in the at in, at the end of the day, it's that Leo did so well hmm. that True. it was almost yeah. unbelievable to me. Yeah, like that scene that they are shooting that where Rick is playing the character with the mustache and he's got the girl hostage. Yeah, yeah. That scene is incredible. Yeah, that was the best acting I've ever seen. <laughs> the thing is, I bet I bet Leo read that script and was like, "I need to fucking kill this scene," <laughs> and then he did, and it and it's almost like he did too well. Yeah, really, it's almost like he did too well because. How can how can Rick Dalton yeah. do that scene in this universe and not have people coming to him saying you need to be the star yeah. in some films? Yeah, uh, it's so good. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I want to watch the movie again. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about changing history. I kind of talked about my director versus movies that don't really need a director thing. Did you have a point? My my two were going to be either the contextualization of using a period piece but then subverting the period mm-hmm. I think is interesting like that I would give that to the movie we talked about that right mm-hmm. um, and my other one is simply I don't like I don't like films that are about the industry for sure because like no one really makes films about being an engineer <laughs> I'm curious if there's if you guys feel like there's any controversy or pushback to the fact that there is a five minute long scene where Brad Pitt bashed a girl's head in no because it's Quentin Tarantino yeah I, I actually feel as though this had less gore than I was expecting yeah it really did I really I thought that scene the home invasion scene was really well done I thought it was if if they would have not made it over the top with the gore in it I thought it would have been better I yeah I can if, see both ways if they would have had 50% less head bashes and 50% less girls screaming while bloody I think it would have been better oh I think that needed 50% more yeah. I think it's and and I, I loved it and uh, what was I going to say oh man I really liked it a lot I did I, it was enjoyable I think it was I think it was in true Quentin fashion it, was, it in, turned into an over the top portrayal For that's sure. what he does with those types of th- scenes he would say he would like say it. this cause it's fun but... it's fun that's what he would say I know also, just does. Brad Pitt being high on LSD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he like and just gun fingers. <laughs> yeah. he, he's just cracking up because the guy's like real as a donut. Yeah. And he can't handle it. And I couldn't really handle it. Uh, I remember your name, wasn't it? I'm the he's devil. Like, Here to do the devil's work. Yeah, it's something cornier than that. He's like, something Max. dumber than that. Yeah. Rex? Rex. And then the girl charging him, and he just turns and just chucks the dog food and smashes her face in. It's yeah. just. Oh, it's uh, it was good. And also, how long does it take to walk up a driveway? Because holy cow. I mean, it's a long driveway. So I, here's the thing. That's the lead up to that scene, tension. The ranch. The, when he was visiting oh, the Manson yeah. Family Ranch, mm-hmm. tension for sure. Well, also, like, Did you think like, the guy was dead in the bed? We, I, I just enjoyed how they subverted the whole tension altogether. Yeah. Right? Like, you expect that something really terrible is going to happen. Then, yeah, you expect the guy's going to be dead. Yeah. Through every every single beat of that scene, you're like, oh no, yeah, and then nothing happens, and right? Squeaky, yeah, Squeaky, aka Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning, yeah, yeah. Is she listed as? Yeah, she is listed yeah, as Squeaky. Um, yeah, that whole scene, man. Also, I mean, just loved first, him coming out. Squeaky's and, her name. Like she's a she's a real person. Oh really? Yeah. Oh okay. I didn't realize there was a real Squeaky. Yeah. Squeaky. Yeah. She was part of the of the Manson. Yeah. yeah. Um, she wasn't a very good person. She killed people, I think. Yeah. Him coming out from the house and having his tire popped yeah. and just being like, I'm not putting up with this bullshit. Like, that scene. Dude, he had swagger. Which which also justifies him fighting Bruce Lee. Kind of, yeah. Because right? that I assume that's not a flashback in any way. Like, in terms of the narration of the film, you assume that happened. Yeah. Uh, and... Like, he was also a war hero. You, you just, mentioned he was in the war. Yeah, you just see him, like, the, the shot of the feet, and you see his stance change and him just hit. It's like, mm-hmm. all right. Like, I had no doubt that he was going to beat up this, this yeah. hippie guy. But oh, yeah. Like, okay. Fucking hippies. Well, the hippies <laughs> fucking ain't. <laughs> burn, burn her to a crisp. Yeah. 
the the montage of Leo freaking out on himself. In the and trailer? Scene, oh, man, in the trailer. That, the shot where he's looking at himself in the mirror, but he's oh, looking right into the camera. See, I didn't like that. The scene where he's looking right into the camera. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It, it breaks, to me, like when I saw it, I was like, I know what they're doing and it's stupid. Like, to me, that feels like a, a technique that they would have done in the 70s. Yeah, I, know. I liked it. I feel like Quentin has done that exact type of thing several times. It, in, like, the 80s when he was first starting, and I just feel as a very tired. Yeah. Because as soon as you see that scene, you're like, he's not looking at himself. Like, why is he looking at the camera? Right, like it's it's a way for the character to break the fourth wall without actually looking at the camera. Yeah, but like at the end of the day, even at the angle that they did it at, he was more he, Leonardo DiCaprio was. You could see the front of his face, yeah. and he was also looking at you. And to me, it's just like okay, yeah. I just don't like the technique. That's yeah. all. That's As, fair. Especially in this day and age, when you have a lot more advanced ways to show that same thing. Yeah. Right, because imagine if. Imagine if they would have been shooting that entire scene via a reflection. Yeah. Where, like, you saw the entire scene through the reflection of the mirror. Yeah. Which would have been just as powerful. Yeah. And then you still had the thing where he stares directly down the, the barrel of the camera. Yeah. You would still get the same feeling if he's looking at the camera. But in that scene with it being so wide angle. Yeah. The mirror doesn't have any effect until he looks until at it. Until he looks, yeah, yeah. And just kind of like, yeah. Maybe Scott should make movies. Yeah. Scott and Tarantino. Or maybe this podcast just elevated to a new level. Well, I think we could make a movie together. I, I doubt it. <laughs> Guys, if I can do it by myself. That's true. Let's preface this by David has made a feature length Also, I want to say movie. that before Quentin made it okay to smash girls' heads into coffee tables, I was doing it in Foretold. Were you? Yeah, the end scene. I don't remember that. Where the assassin... Knocks her out on the table. I don't remember that at we all. We used ketchup. Maybe I uh, blacked out just from from the awesomeness of from the build up. awesomeness of your high school like eight, hour eight, and a half minute film. Eight hour and a half minute, eighty eight minutes long. Two minutes short. I know. And a day late. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, guys. Are we good? Any more points on this? I liked it. I want to see it again. Okay, cool. Do we want to do recommendations? Yeah, recommendations. Would your parents watch it? Yeah, let's start with that one. Dave. Uh, I'll start this time. Uh, no and no. My parents hate Quentin Tarantino. Oh. Yeah, so. Um, I think I think my dad would probably be kind of bored through the first half. But maybe not, though, because he's a big fan of Westerns. So I could see him getting into mm-hmm. um, Cliff or Rick Dalton and Cliff's storyline. That's a good point. Well. If they gave it a chance, my dad would like it more than he thought he would. Yeah. My mom wouldn't. But they both really don't like Pulp Fiction. They don't like the gratuitous violence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think my mom would like it because she would, the second she knew it was about Sharon Tate, I feel like she'd be in because she, mm-hmm. she re- knows this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my mom would be okay up until the point where they're on the ranch. I think she would be like, I'm done with this. <laughs> uh, my dad would be fine with it, but I think that he would also be a little disturbed by the violence. Yeah. More as he'd just be like, they can put that in movies? <laughs> but, yeah, it's not their kind of movie. Like, it's just... Yeah. Um, I want to know where you guys would rank this in your Quentin Tarantino films. Yeah. Because I am still struggling with that. Um... So it might is so it's tough to take out my desire to watch it again. This is so strong since I just watched it. Uh, Tarantino, I like some of his stuff, and I don't like some of his stuff. I would watch. I would put this above Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. I would put it above. I haven't seen Jackie Brown. I'd put it above Reservoir Dogs, even though I like Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. I would put it above Django, even though I don't mind. Oh Django. really? Yeah, I don't mind Django, but I didn't like it as much as other people did. I would put it... So, for me, Inglorious Bastards is my favorite Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino film. Okay. Um, and Pulp Fiction is up there. I would put this, honestly, top three just because I liked how patient it was. Tarantino films are tough for me to watch sometimes because I don't do well with trying to separate myself from my physiological reaction to suspense and tension. Uh, so, the fact that I know what to expect with this one and that I can just revel in how patient he is... I like that. So I'd have say you, top three for sure. Have you thought about it? Yeah. Um, 
So I'll just sort of just briefly go. I think my number one Quentin Tarantino film is always going to be Pulp Fiction. Um, I think number two for me is Django. And then I think I would put this film number three above Inglorious Bastards. Um, Hateful Eight's down near the bottom. And then it's probably at the bottom counting up like Hateful Eight, Kill Bill, Kill Bill 2. And Have you seen Jackie Brown? No, I'm not even going to include that just because I don't know. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that seen one, it. and I haven't seen uh, Death Death Race or Death House or whatever. Oh yeah, I'm not counting that one either. So I put it either top three or top four. So the top half of his filmography, yeah, for sure. Uh, I put it number one. Yeah, like I think I like this more than other ones. I would watch this one again more than I'd watch a different one again. Gotcha. Yeah. I think we're good. Uh, who do you recommend this to? Do you, do you guys think that, right, because we're looking at this audience score of 71, do you think that's because people went into it thinking it was going to be like a La La Land, and then No, it I think people were thinking it was going to be a lot more stuff going on. I think people mm-hmm. uh, people thought like, oh, it's Django, or Inglorious Bastards, yeah. where it's going to be it's going to be faster paced. Pace. It's going to be violent. It's going to be, you know, yeah. action. Yeah. Because that's... Yeah, because this isn't even listed as an action. It's comedy. Yeah. Comedy drama. It's, it's the comedy this. Good. I feel like this film um, takes a few steps back for Quentin uh, as far as just what he's trying to do with the film. Because I feel like, yeah, he's he's been on a roll of more violent films lately. Could mm-hmm. you say it's his most mature film? Um, I mean, do you mean like in terms of like content and tone i guess just because just because there's not as much over the top violence throughout right i mean reservoir dogs didn't have too much yeah Yeah, i feel like pulp fiction has a decent mix like it's definitely more violent Mm -hmm. than this film but there are a lot of scenes that don't rely on violence yeah yeah are we doing uh other media now guys yeah what do you got hmm okay it's just a movie this week Oh, that I watched. Just a movie. It's, it's Dave's podcast on the podcast. Oh, yeah. that's the podcast. That's the podcast, guys. Yeah. Stay tuned. But no, uh, Spider Man Two. Sam Raimi Spider Man Two. Watched it again. <laughs> because of our conversation with Spider Man, or just because you wanted to watch it again? Because you do it both. Okay. Yeah. It's so good. It is so good. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Right on. I I don't think I've watched it. I haven't either. Since the two years uh, after it came out. I, I'm telling you guys. Good. <sighs> okay. You're in? Um, I just finished, I binged basically Barry, mm-hmm. HBO series starring Bill Hader. Um, the first season was fine. It was good. The second season, I feel like they really got into a rhythm and they have a few episodes where you're, you finish the episode and you're like, that was just nuts in a great way. Um, so Barry, I also want to have, uh, do a quick shout out here to, um, Kevin Longmire, uh, Klongmire, Klongmire, the old gunslinger, the old gunslinger. He is currently in Madison, Wisconsin, competing at the CrossFit games, um, in the 35 to 39 year old male division, year old male division. He had to be top 10 in the world in that division to make it to the games. Um, and I think as of this morning, he was sitting in sixth, sixth. overall. Sixth, that's wow. Um, so I've been tracking that a lot as far as media goes. And he's yeah. not 35, he's 37. So not the young buck in the crowd, still hanging. Yeah. Um, crushing it. Yeah. Okay. Scott, what's your other media? Uh, Great British Baking Show. Nice. <laughs> no, I want to stop this right uh, here. So here's what happened. No. Nope. Okay, this is oh, all the lame nope. because I already used that one. Uh, here's what happened. I got really sick. Here's what happened. Scott learned that Duran loves Great British Baking Show. I got real sick. Launched it to number one priority in his and list. And I had nothing else to do. And then I watched it, and Nancy... I know Nancy's a real person, so what I'm about to say is going to be harsh. Um, I think you're uh, doing great. Nancy can suck it. <laughs> I did not like her. You didn't like Nancy? No. Uh Lewis or uh, Richard definitely should have won. Yeah, I agree with five. season five. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, Dave. That's okay. I mean, it's a good show. I mean, I watched it before either of you, so but I never yeah. brought it up or made it a big deal. 
But I mean, but you guys can have your party over there. Your great British baking party. Uh, this has been three guys you've never heard of talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod for letting us use his music. Uh, if you want, yes. Special thanks to Gwen for Porter. artwork. What? Every time. Normal thanks oh, to Gwen. Okay. Let's, <laughs> especially, let's especially thank Kevin. Normally thank Gwen. Um, and special thanks to Scott for editing. editing. Anytime. And special shout out to all the Dave heads out there who think I'm the best one. Wow. We, we got a following. I don't like where this is going. I don't like this at all. Stay true. Uh, if you want to find more podcasts like this, you can go to tgynho.podbean.com for more. And there you can find links to all of our social media. If you use that same acronym, I think you can also search for us on Spotify, mm-hmm. on iTunes. You can find our Twitter, Instagram, subreddit, all the things. If you want to talk to us, we got Discord. We do have a Discord. Because you, you can't get there without an invite, so... Is the invite's on the webpage? Oh, really? Yeah. Damn it. Damn it. Open invitation, but we're only accepting the first 50,000. Jump on it. <laughs> Hit that like, smash that subscribe. Uh, the first person that finds our email address and emails us will get a shout-out for being the first person that found our email address and emailed us. Also, they'll probably get a shirt. Let's be real. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll make some podcast shirts, and you'll get you'll get the first shirt. You sure will, and we'll sign it on you, the inside. You sure will. You sure will. Dave, Scott, I saw that one. He coming. had to make it, and he hates it. <laughs> Signing off here for Duran and Scott and myself. As always, eat your vegetables. Call your moms; they miss you. And clean out your sugar bottles. Clean, clean them out. out. Yeah. Clean them out. Okay, it'll work. Uh, three guys you've never heard of subtly explore their foot fetishes. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's what the comment earlier was about. Totes with goats. Uh, Quentin Tarantino has, over the years, become more and more uh, yeah, honest I guess, about his foot fetishes. Because I guess in windshield shot, movie theater shot, come to oh, mind. Oh, yeah. 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 Toesies. So, so, Pulp Just, Fiction, right? There's the whole scene about, like... You gave him a foot massage, right? Yep. Isn't that one of the things with Bruce yep. Willis's character? And mm-hmm. yeah, they they chat about it. Yeah, um, it was not. And aware. then there's a lot. There's a decent amount of foot stuff in Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I mean, just in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you got girl feet, you got guy feet. Where's the guy feet? Uh, Leo in the pool. There's some shots. Oh yeah, but not as, not as, oh. Mm. I feel like Quentin probably prefers female feet. Well, you also got some dog feet in there. Mm. A dog walking around, you see his feet a few times. Some car feet, some tires. Yep, some car feet. Yeah, Yeah, so, I mean, where does it stop, Quentin? Um, Interesting.